So today I'm going to start talking about abortion and share from Scripture what the Scripture has to say. And then I'm also going to go into some statistics that will show this from even a secular point of view about how damaging abortion is. First of all, let me mention that this happened in Colorado. I forget the exact year, but it was in July that the Colorado House of Representatives was celebrating the 90th anniversary of Planned Parenthood. And they began their session with a young woman coming to the floor to sing the national anthem. And she had cerebral palsy. And the people who were advocates for cerebral palsy had invited her in. And she sang this national anthem. Some of the representatives even sang along with her. And it was very emotional. And after she got through, one of the representatives got up and began to tell the young woman's story. And all of a sudden, man, it turned from this mood of where everybody had been touched emotionally and was right with her. And it was because the young woman was named Gina Jensen, and she was a survivor of a saline abortion. And it was the saline abortion that caused her cerebral palsy. And so this representative got up and told her story. And as they were celebrating the 90th anniversary of Planned Parenthood, they put a face on what Planned Parenthood did. And one of the representatives got up, and this is a quote, and he said, I think it was amazingly rude to use a human being as an example of personal politics. But you know what? The representative that brought her in responded by saying, this is exactly the reason we did this, is because it's not politics, it's about people. Babies are people. And this woman has been affected because of a saline abortion through Planned Parenthood. And I guarantee you this is a very divisive issue and people got mad. But um, this was uh, this is what the, one of the points that I want to get across is that when we are talking about abortion, it is not just a woman's body. It's not her own tissue. I'm going to go through uh, scientific things. It'll show you it has a baby has its own heartbeat many times, a different blood type. It has its own individual DNA. It is a separate human being. And we're going to show this from Scripture. And uh, we are going to show that abortion is not a godly thing according to Scripture. It's outlawed in Scripture. You know, again, I, I can understand unbelievers in a sense, the way that they embrace these things because it's all about them. It's all about self. They are their God. They don't submit to anybody. It's all about them. And they don't want the inconvenience of a baby. They don't want the responsibility. They don't want the financial drain. They don't want the emotional stress. They don't want their lifestyle intervened. In a sense, I can understand unbelievers who embrace abortion. But I cannot understand a person who claims to be a Christian embracing and supporting and promoting abortion. It certainly is contrary to Scripture and the only way that I can understand a Christian embracing that and promoting it is if they aren't informed, they don't know what the stats and the natural say, they don't know what the Word of God says, and they've just drunk the Kool-Aid. They get their morality from uh, television shows and movies and books and magazines. That's the only way that I can understand. Is just a person that's been totally deceived. So I believe that it is completely incompatible for a person who says that they are a Christian and believes the Word of God to support abortion. Abortion is not a godly thing. 
And I'm going to make some statements here that I believe are correct. I know I'll probably get criticism for it. But you know what? I, I don't apologize for it. But let me start by just quoting a scripture or reading a scripture from first uh, from um, Psalms chapter 139, verses 13 through 16. It says, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest part of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect and and in thy book all my members were written which in continuance were not fashioned when as yet there was none of them. You know, it's a little wordy in the King James but it's basically talking about that God knew everything about us while we were still in our mother's womb and all of our members every single part of our body every detail our hair color our eye color our personality our traits our talents our abilities were all established in our mother's womb not after we came out of the womb not after we develop it Now, I will admit that people go to college and they develop their skills to be an artist. They develop their ability to be a leader, to be an accountant, to do all of these kind of things. But you cannot put in what God left out. You can only develop what God has started. And God, according to Scripture, has predetermined all of these things on the inside of us when we were in our mother's womb. Here's this same passage from the NIV. It says it this way, For you created... My innermost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So this shows that God knows unborn children, that it's not only after a child comes out of the womb that it is a viable life. And you can debate all of these different issues, but this basically comes down to it. I think that this is the bottom line. Does When does life start? According to this one scripture, and I'm going to be giving you many more scriptures that will verify this exact same thing. Life begins at conception. Going back to 1973 when the United States Supreme Court legalized abortion. Uh, The person that was in this, you know, the Jane Roe, Roe versus Wade that was in this court decision, her real name was Norma McCorvey, and uh, she has since become a Christian. She has admitted that she was kind of picked out and singled out to make an example of so that they could bring this decision. She is now an outspoken Christian and saying that abortion is murder. And you know, back in 1973, basically, here is the approach. This is how they got this through the Supreme Court. They came and said that an unborn child is a part of that woman's body. And so therefore, the woman has, has the right to do with her body what she wants to do. Now, that's flawed reasoning in the first place. But this is the way that they approached this. And the way that they got this through the Supreme Court, they challenged the fact and they said that this... Um, This unborn child is just a part of the mother's body and she can do what she wants to. 
At the time, in 1973, there wasn't the science to prove that a child was a separate individual because it had been accepted for thousands and thousands of years. Throughout human history, nobody had ever questioned that. Only an educated fool, excuse me for being blunt, but an educated fool is the only one that would question whether a child is a human being before it's actually delivered and outside of the mother's womb. And I know that many people are just going to be incensed at me, but I'm telling you, it is foolish. It's silly. And for thousands of human years of human history, nobody challenged this. And so the reason that there wasn't science to prove that a child was a separate human being is because nobody with a rational mind had ever challenged it. And in the absence of science, which again goes back to a philosophy... This goes all the way back to the Enlightenment of the 1800s that, you know, everything is just physical, natural, that it's not God, that God didn't create, that we evolved and all of these kind of things. And if you have that kind of a philosophy and if you don't believe Scripture and if you don't believe the precedent of thousands and thousands of years of human history, then you have this philosophy that until science proves it, it's not real and you can't count on it. Well, with that mindset and that philosophy that was in those people, because there was an absence of scientific proof, then they ruled that the unborn child was just a part of the woman's body and she had the right to do with her body what she wanted to. But we now have the science to prove that abortion is an incorrect thing. Let me just share some of the things from Scripture. Out of Luke chapter 1, In verse 41, it says, When Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. This is talking about John the Baptist. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost, and she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And and whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And this was when John the Baptist was, or you could say Elizabeth, was just six months along in her pregnancy, three months before the birth, John the Baptist heard the salutation of Mary and was filled with the Holy Spirit. This was prophesied that John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. And right here in Luke chapter 1 is where John the Baptist received the Holy Spirit. Now there's a couple of things that are really significant right here. First of all, the Holy Spirit doesn't come and inhabit and fill just tissue, just a blob. No, John the Baptist was a person. The Holy Spirit came and indwelt John the Baptist starting while he was still in his mother's womb. Now that is God's opinion of when life begins. It began in the womb. The Holy Spirit came and filled and inhabited a person before they were born. If there was no other scripture in the entire Word of God, this is enough to say that a child before it is born is a separate living human being whom God considers to be a person because He put His Holy Spirit inside of that person while it was still in His mother's womb And that child had joy and leapt for joy at the sound of Mary's um, salutation. That's powerful. I don't know if the Word of God means anything to you or not, but if you claim that you believe in the Bible, 
then you have to believe that when you terminate the life of an unborn child, you are killing a person. Now, some people will say, but it's not a viable human being. It can't survive out of the womb. You know, in the first place, there are now babies. I've actually seen a report of a baby that was born only one pound something. And in incubation, it did survive and it was viable and it lived outside of the womb. And see, the whole uh, pro-abortion lobby is out to dehumanize this child and say it is not a viable child and it can't live outside of the womb. Well, with medical advances today, nearly, uh, or I can't say nearly all, but uh, certainly a large portion of children could live outside of the womb with attention. And people say, but if it's in on, in, on an incubator and if it's got all of these things, then that's not a viable life. Well, let me just say this. Once a child reaches full term and is born after nine months of pregnancy, can that child survive on its own? Absolutely not. That child can't feed itself. It can't defend itself. It can't take care of itself. It can't function on its own. That child is dependent upon somebody for years to nourish and care for it. This whole argument that the child isn't viable outside of the womb is just an attempt to go ahead and justify a belief system, a commitment that they already have, and that is that they don't care about that child. All they care about is themselves. The Scripture teaches that a child is a human being from the time of conception that the Holy Spirit filled John the Baptist while he was still in his mother's womb, and John the Baptist expressed joy in his mother's womb. It says in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4, it says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Notice it says, I formed you in the belly. I didn't form a hunk of plasma or tissue. I formed you, a person in the belly. I knew you. And before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. This is God speaking to Jeremiah. And he said while he was still in his mother's womb, God sanctified him. The word sanctify means set apart. That means it wasn't just a part of the mother's body. He was set apart. He was an individual. God had sanctified him and ordained him to be a prophet unto the nations. He had an identity, a purpose, a calling on his life before he ever came forth out of his mother's womb. And uh, Paul said the exact same thing in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, that when it pleased God who separated me unto the gospel from my mother's womb. Again, he makes reference to the fact that God had a purpose for his life, a calling on his life from his mother's womb. You cannot scripturally say that a child isn't a human being until it's delivered and able to exist on its own. The scripture shows that God had a purpose, a plan, he separated individuals while they were still in their mother's womb. The Holy Spirit came and possessed them. They felt emotions and had joy while they were still in their mother's womb. That's what the Bible has to say about this. And any person who claims to be a Christian and says, Well, I don't care. I still am pro-choice. A woman should have choice over her own body. You do not have a choice to murder another person, especially an innocent person. And that's what it comes down to. You can sit there and bury your head in the sand if you want to, and you can try and smooth this over, but it's not going to work with me, and it won't work with anybody who truly believes the Word of God. The Word of God makes it very clear 
that a child is a child from the moment of conception. Let me just go through and show you some of the things here that uh, science has proven about children. I'm going to have to read this from my book on Christian philosophy because I've compiled all these stats together. I don't have... I've got Scripture in my heart, but I don't have all of these stats in my heart, so forgive me for having to read this. But on day 22, the baby's heartbeat uh, begins, and it has a child's own blood, often a different type from the mother's. So that's on day 22. It's already got the life of the flesh is in the blood, and it's pumping a separate life through the veins of that baby. In week three, the child's backbone, spinal column, and nervous system are forming. The liver, kidneys, and intestines begin to take shape. This isn't just a tumor, a hunk of flesh. This is a human being with the parts. Week four, the child is 10,000 times larger than the original fertilized egg. At week six, brain waves are detectable. Mouth and lips are present. Fingernails are forming. That's just six weeks into the pregnancy. Week seven, eyelids, toes, and a distinct nose form. The baby is kicking and swimming. Week eight, every organ is in place. Bones begin to replace cartilage and fingerprints begin to form. The baby also begins to hear. Notice at week eight, just two months into a pregnancy, they have a separate fingerprint. You know, this is one of the ways that we identify individuals from other people is the fact that nobody has the same fingerprints as anybody else. In just week eight, an unborn child already has a peculiar individual fingerprint. In week nine and ten, teeth begin to form, fingernails develop. The baby can turn his head, frown, and hiccup. Week ten, the baby can breathe ambionic fluid and urinate. Week 11, the baby can grasp objects placed in its hand. You know, I actually have a picture on my computer of a surgeon doing surgery on a baby still in its mother's womb. You can see this big swollen belly and you can see the incision. And as he's working and doing his work, this little hand reaches out and grabs the finger of this surgeon. And you know what? When you perform an abortion... You are killing an individual that has a human hand that could reach out and grab a finger. Have you ever had a little kid do that to you? I mean, a little tiny baby. And it's just their way of reaching out and making a connection with you. A child at week 11 in the mother's womb can already do that. At week 12, the baby has all of the parts necessary to experience pain, including nerves, spinal cord, and uh, thalamus. Vocal cords are complete. The baby can suck his or her thumb at week 12. Week 14, at this age, the heart pumps several quarts of blood through the body every day. Week 15, the baby has an adult's taste buds. Month number four, bone marrow is now beginning to form. The heart is pumping 25 quarts of blood a day. By the end of the month, uh, a month for the baby will be 8 to 10 inches in length and will weigh up to half of a pound. And week 17, the baby can have dreams, rapid eye movement. Week 20, the baby recognizes his mother's voice. And this is also the earliest stage when they allow partial birth abortions. 
You know, when I interviewed Connie Weiskopf, I think she said that they've now outlawed partial birth abortions. I'm a little confused on that. I don't know. I'm not the authority, but uh, they did perform partial birth abortions starting at 20 weeks. And these children were already able to recognize and hear their mother's voice. I tell you, any way you cut it, if you go by scientific evidence or if you go by the Word of God, a child in his mother's womb is a separate human being and it is just absolutely wrong to look at this as a woman has a right to do with what she wants to with her own body. That is not her own body. You know, without the man impregnating the woman, you couldn't have that child. And so to say that that is only part of that woman's body, it has a part of that man in it. What about the man's rights? What about the man who wants a child and yet it's just turned over to the woman whether she wants to kill that child or not? You know, any way you look at this, if you look at it objectively, that child is a separate human being. That child has rights. And that child should have its rights protected. And if you terminate a pregnancy, you are killing a human being. I am not saying this to hurt anybody. I'm not saying this to cause you grief or pain, but I am saying this to present the truth and to spare the millions. There have been over 53 million abortions done in the United States since 1973 when they legalized abortion. And that's not including all abortions. New York State and California do not require all abortions to be recorded. So this 53 million that has been recorded is not a total tally. 53 million plus individuals in the United States have been murdered. And I tell you, that is wrong. That is a blight upon this nation. And that is a major issue. It's not the only issue. When it comes to voting for a person, this is not the only issue. But it is a major issue to me. If everything else was equal, I guarantee you I would stand on the rights of the unborn every single time. And I'd vote for that. I pray that that's a major issue for you. It needs to be. And if you have a Christian philosophy, a biblical philosophy, you would have to line up on the side of the unborn child and you'd have to defend them. There is no way to excuse this. You know, forgive me for being blunt, but I don't care what your reasonings are. And I'm going to deal with some other things. People talk about rape and incest, etc. That's really not even an issue. And I could say some other things about that. Rape is still not a justification for killing a child just because it was a product of rape. It is a separate human life. And I tell you, that's what it all boils down to. You know, I just feel in my heart that there's probably some of you that have committed an abortion or you know someone who has. Maybe you're a parent and you encouraged your own child to get an abortion because you didn't want to deal with the shame of it or the financial burden or whatever the convenience issues were. And I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but I am trying to tell you that that's murder. It's wrong. And the way to overcome this isn't to deny that you did anything wrong. You're going to violate your own conscience. You're going to confuse your own self. You're going to resist the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will not bear witness with you that this is just a hunk of flesh. The Holy Spirit will be constantly showing you, no, this was wrong. You took a life. 
But it won't be in a condemning way. It'll be to draw you to the Lord and say, But I have forgiveness. If you will receive it, you can be forgiven. You can be cleansed of that. And so I want to encourage you that if you have committed an abortion or if you've supported someone else, encouraged someone else to do it, there is forgiveness, but it's not through denial. It's not through changing the rules. It's not through just adopting the lies that have been told you. You need to go to the Word of God and you need to appropriate the forgiveness that is available to you through the Lord. Today, I'm going to be talking to Connie Weiskopf, just an awesome woman of God. And I first got to know her uh, because I prayed for her and she was healed of cancer. And then our television department did a follow-up on this and uh, she had it verified by the doctors that she's cancer-free. And it's just a tremendous testimony. We have it on a Healing Journeys, a DVD. But the reason I'm going to be interviewing her is because part of her story was also that before she got born again, she used to use abortion nearly as a method of birth control. And so I'm going to ask Connie some questions, and uh, we're going to share some things about how she's dealt with this, how she's received the forgiveness of the Lord, and how God has dealt with her. And I believe it's going to be a really, really blessing to you. But just in case any of you haven't seen her testimony, I first of all want to go, uh, before I start talking to Connie, and just play this uh, video that we have. It's available. It's entitled uh, Healing Journeys, and it's the story of Connie Weiskopf. For 25 years, Connie Schlepp Weiskopf captured the beauty of nature through the art of watercolor. But one painting in her collection stood out from the others. A depiction of Christ suffering agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. As it turned out, Connie carried secrets deep inside. Secrets known only to God. I was raped at gunpoint five times by a man that um, I had dated in college. And I had broken up with him because he was abusive and he broke into my home and raped me. I became pregnant and terminated that child. It was probably 12 years ago though that the Lord called me to marry my husband David. Uh, we had dated years prior and we had broken up because I gave my life to Christ and he had not. We were actually living together at the time and God miraculously uh, worked in my husband's heart, changed his life. She was never prior to that ready to get married but God's been the foundation of this marriage and that I think he, he brought us together finally. The head of women's ministry at the church that I belong to um, invited us to a banquet for a pregnancy center and never heard of one before, never knew they existed. A woman was giving her testimony um, about terminating a child about abortion. Um, my husband and I had done that before we got married. Um, we never talked about it. We never wanted anyone to know. I never certainly did. Um, and I had never told my husband that I had made that choice prior. Um, for the first time in my life, my husband and I um, began to talk about the choices we had made before we were married. In the parking lot that day, after the banquet, my husband grabbed my hand and said, You know Jesus has forgiven us. And I said, I don't. I don't know that. During the course of that time, both Connie and I came upon some... Uh, health challenges. He was tired a lot and was diagnosed with a heart condition. She'd had, uh, I think, felt some, some lumps 
in her in her breast and so finally convinced her to really to go see a doctor and and they said we needed to do a biopsy and um, they did the biopsy when I first was diagnosed I'm going to tell you that my friends well-meaning and family well-meaning said this is the time you need to find out everything you know doctors say about breast cancer well the Lord spoke to me and said no Connie this is when you need to find out everything I say about healing and Andrew Womack's ministry had a lot of that for me and on my way home the Lord spoke to me and said Connie you don't even believe me that I've forgiven your sins how will you believe me for your healing I'm gonna tell you I wept in the car that day and said God I have done so many horrible things how can you forgive all of those things? And I was thinking on um, the abortions that I'd done. Um, just all the sinful things. I mean, I'm the, one of the worst sinners out there. Um, God said to me, then I sent my son for nothing. Um, I went home and wept that day. And I'm like, God. I searched every scripture there was on what he did at the cross. Why he sent his son. Um, Andrew's teachings. Um, brought me to that as well. I continued to just, um, yeah, read the word, listen, um, the healing scriptures, you've already got it, uh, God wants you well. Um, he just speaks in such a way that it's just simple truth about this Jesus that I fell in love with. And the more that when I first fell in love with him too, I kept hearing in the word, you know, God has these greater things for you to do that you will be doing even greater things than Him. But I wasn't seeing them in the church. I saw a lot of people die. Saw a lot of people not getting well. I emailed Andrew's ministry <laughs> and asked them if he could come and pray for me. <laughs> because I sought out people who, when they prayed, when they um, spoke, there was fruit. Um, I didn't see a lot of that in other and someone graciously emailed me back and said, well, he's a very busy man. Um, but you know what? He is going to be ministering in Colorado Springs this next weekend. I went a couple days early and just spent a lot of time in the Word, listened to the tapes that I had been blessed with from Andrew. Um, I used to just put them on at night and lay in bed and just listen to them, having the Word just go into me, the healing scriptures and that. Um, so I went to that church early the next on Sunday morning where he was ministering. I went into the sanctuary and sat down and, and was just waiting and then all of a sudden I just felt the Lord's little nudge and said go out into the lobby now and, and I ran smack face into Andrew. Oh, there's oh hi. So hi. you want to be healed? Yes. You ready to receive? I'm ready to receive. Connie is healed in the name of Jesus. And we thank you, Father, that you've done it. We pray that this... It was a simple prayer. He just said, are you ready to receive your healing? And I was. Um, he simply prayed for me. Um, and then we went in um, and commanded the cancer to leave my body. Um, we went into the sanctuary and the message that day, it ministered to my heart even more so that... Um, the healing manifest that day, I believe, that moment when he prayed and when I heard. I didn't have enough faith not to go have the surgery yet. Um, 
and didn't believe enough yet. So anyway, I went in for the surgery for my breast cancer. You know, the doctor came back out and talked to the family afterwards and he said he felt really good about the procedure. They called me the very next day, which is unheard of, and the doctor said to me, Connie, we don't know what happened. All the cancer was gone, and my husband and I just began to rejoice because we knew what happened, and I told my doctor that. I know what happened. I have this incredible God who has healing, um, and that's what happened. Shortly after that, um, my husband asked me if I would pray for him for his healing, for his heart, because they basically gave him a death sentence, said, you know, there's nothing more we can do. You just get to go home and die. You have three to five years, probably three. Um, I wanted my husband to live. I wanted him to have this incredible life that we have. Um, so one night he asked me to pray, and it was probably two weeks or so later. One night at dinner, I just started thinking about the fact that I really hadn't felt this fluttering or the, the arrhythmia in my heart for some time and I, I just looked at Connie and said this is kind of freaky but my pulse is really steady. And immediately I just jumped up and began to just rejoice and thank God for my husband's healing. Um, so now I get to live this awesome life with Jesus and my husband um, because he believed and received all that our Lord has. In discovering the joy of forgiveness and healing, Connie felt God leading her to volunteer at the Life Choices Pregnancy Center in her home community. In 2007, she became the facility's director. I was offered the position as um, center director at the pregnancy center where I was volunteering at. My husband and I prayed because that would be a huge change for us. Um, he was used to, of course, having me at home, um, working at home, and you kind of can set your schedule. So. Um, dinner was on the table, and he worked very hard at his job. Um, but we both prayed and felt like this is where God wanted me to be and um, totally felt at peace about it, uh, knowing that now I could share with other women and men because, you know, behind every young woman is a young man, and we often have them coming into the center as well. And we get to pray with them and share the gospel with them. How I see her interact with clients and volunteers, she has a gift of grace. She's just um, such an encouragement to me. They told me I was pregnant, <laughs> and then they also gave me like just like advice from like the Bible, and they just like were really encouraging. What Connie's able to do is to share the nature of God with people that don't understand how really good God is. Many girls have changed their minds that we're going to abort their babies. Life Choices, the whole facility has been just amazing. <laughs> They've been prayer, um, Bible studies, um, helping me make the decision to keep my child. We've had many, many healings at Life Choices now. We've had women healed of breast cancers and hepatitis C. Um, emotional healings. We see uh, girls coming to the Lord and we see people that have never been inside a church and have never known really what Jesus has done for us to ask questions and to come back and to find the Lord and that's exciting and that's what we're about. God's given me this incredible opportunity at Life Choices to share the gospel. Um, he wants us all 
to be out there, you know, sharing with non-believers as well as believers about the healing power, the authority, the love of Jesus Christ. Um, so we get to do that at Life Choices. And what they see speaks more to them about my Jesus than even the words that I can say sometimes. So praise the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Well, Connie, it is a real pleasure to have you on our program. And this has now been, what, six years, you said? Yes, six years ago that I was um, diagnosed with That's cancer. That's awesome. And have you had any problems? Has you, have you stayed cancer-free? No problems? I have. I believe the enemies tried to come at me, but, but you know I, what just, to do. I do now. So That's I awesome. go to Jesus. And you know, Connie, even though the healing of cancer is miraculous, I don't mean to downplay that. The healing of you from the unforgiveness or the lack of receiving God's forgiveness, the condemnation that went with it, that's really a greater miracle than the physical healing. Absolutely. Had it not been for healing for that and that part of my heart, I don't think I ever would have believed for my healing for cancer. You know, there's a scripture in First uh, Timothy 1.19, I believe, that says that uh, if you put away a good conscience, it makes your faith shipwrecked. And this is exactly what happens to a lot of people. They have faith that God can move, but they don't have confidence that He will move for them because they are just so bound. And we've been talking specifically against abortion. And one of the things that I wanted to have you come on for is to show that just because you've had an abortion, I believe it's wrong. I believe it's a sin. I believe it's murder. But you know what? God can forgive you. You are a living testimony. And God has put your life back together and you are ministering to people and using your past experiences. And so you're just a great testimony that abortion, if you've had one, does not have to d destroy your life. There is forgiveness through the Lord. That's once, awesome. Yeah, once people get a glimpse of this incredible God and His love and grace, mm -hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, then they can believe. Amen. <coughs> and so in your testimony... You were confronted with this when you went to this thing at a pregnancy center. And uh, Dave, you just realized that you'd never forgiven yourself. You hadn't received the forgiveness that was available. Yeah, as much as I knew about my Lord, I had not ever gone to that place. And I believe most women don't. There's so much shame and guilt associated with abortion that they never talk about it. You mm -hmm. see, and we see at the center's, women in their 50s and 40s who finally have seen a testimony like mine or another woman's and say, I need healing too. And they'll come in and they're like, can you help me? I made this choice 20 years ago or 15 years ago. I had one woman come in a week after her abortion, just really ready to kill herself. Um, we don't often see women that soon after they've made that choice, but um, I'm so glad she made it through our doors. To receive so Jesus. I would suspect that even though you go ahead and function and you do all of these things that you do, that that's never really out of your heart or out of your mind. It's something you have to deal with. And even today I think about it. It's not something that I... But the pain, the shame, the guilt is gone because of what Jesus did. So the way that the world approaches this, they try and deal with the condemnation and the guilt by saying it's not wrong. And they try and convince themselves and they get adamant towards anybody who says that abortion is wrong. But the proper way to deal with it, the way you dealt with it, is not to whitewash it or make it out to be less than what it was. But you went to Jesus 
and receive forgiveness. Forgiveness is the only way to really get that totally purged from your life. It is. And bitterness was a huge thing because I had gone, you know, and the Lord showed me that, that I had bitterness towards the people who were involved, bitterness towards myself. But I didn't know how to get rid of that anymore. I remember going through deliverance and all these other steps, you know, thinking that that would relieve that from me. I just, I remember one day in my car, too, just saying, Lord, I don't know how to do that. You are going to have to show me and do this with me. And I think it was two weeks later, you know, spending time in his word, he, too, again, just delivers you when you seek his Mm -hmm. forgiveness. Well, that's a key point right there, and that is that God wants to set you free from this more than you want it. And if you'll open up and ask for his direction, God will help every single woman. And it doesn't have to be only the women. There's also a man behind every pregnancy like that. And the men who let the wife abort their child and stuff, uh, if they'll open up and just ask God for his help, he will show you how to get through this and how to receive his forgiveness. Knowing his character, getting to know who he is, what he paid the price for, will show you and lead you to that forgiveness of yourself. I think a lot of um, women say, and I've heard them say this even when they come into the center and they're considering making that choice, well, I know God will forgive me. Oh, really? But they often then will say, later, but now I can't forgive myself. So they, some of them even know about this incredible God and know of his forgiveness, but not to the point where they're not going to make that choice So that's an admission that it's wrong, right? Absolutely. They know that it's wrong. Yeah. I just became aware of this, that you have just written a book, Forever Changed. Man, this is exciting. And so this is the testimony of your healing of cancer. Do you also go into the uh, emotional healing that you received? I do, and how God walked me through kind of step-by-step, believing and receiving all that He had for me. I bet you there have been a lot of people that identify with this. Do you have the stats, or do you know the stats about how many uh, women have had abortions? I know... I know that there's, what, over 50 million abortions yeah, since 52 Roe 52 million right now in the United States since Roe v. Wade and Doe versus Bolton. Now, some of those, I'm sure, are, are one woman having multiple abortions. Yes. So probably less than 50 million women, but that's still a super significant It's a number. lot. In the world, um, not including those 52 million, is 51 million every year in other nations. I know that Obama, when he came into office, one of the very first things he did was take restrictions off and start funding abortions worldwide and has increased the number of abortions exponentially. So it's a major, major problem. It is. There's women, one in three women will terminate a child statistically um, before during their childbearing eight years. You know, I just saw a statistic uh, in the last month or so that they said that the number one cause of death in the United States and world is abortion. Yes, and they hide the fact that women are dying from abortions now um, through, you know, a woman will go into an abortion clinic and they will leave and the, they will call it, you know, that she bled to death or but the complications came from that, that choice. Sure, it is not a minor procedure. And on top of that, I helped start a pregnancy center in Colorado mm-hmm. Springs, and I was aware of some of these things. But they say that the uh, when they go to have a child uh, and they want to keep that child, that it complicates. And a lot of deformities or right. uh, uh, problems associated 
with birth are caused, they're increased in women who've had abortions. Sterility is one of them. Women not able to conceive after they've made that choice because of the damage that's been done. Um, Ectopic pregnancies, things like that. And yet you don't hear any of this from the abortion industry. They present it as it's just nearly like a uh, non-procedure. You just go in and a few moments it's over with. Right. Well, it's a financial gain for them. Boy, it is. And you know, it's like the scripture says, a love of money is the root of all evil. And money is driving this. I've heard the statistics on that, and I forget what they are, but it's billions and billions of dollars, taxpayer dollars in the United States are going to fund this. And and uh, they are intentionally, in my opinion, I'm going to be teaching on these things separate from my interview with you, but showing about the woman who started Planned Parenthood. It was driven to eliminate certain segments of the society. It was the same yep. uh, mindset that Hitler had. And I'm, I mean, there is an agenda among these people. They are not helping women. No. And yet they they position it like we are here to help women. Call it health care. And it's not. It is to make money. So one of the things I wanted to ask you, you had a number of abortions. I assume, was this before you uh, were born again or did you have some after? Actually, my again? third abortion was right after I gave my life to Christ. I had walked through the church and fell in love with the Lord But because of the religious mindset and not knowing about who Jesus was, I thought that churches would not allow me to walk through their doors if they knew that I was living a life of of sin and some of the choices that I had made. So I terminated my third child after I gave my life to Christ. Um, Over 72% of the women who make that choice say that they are Christians when they do. So the, the lies are perpetrated in the church as well. And women and men are believing those lies. So let me ask you, when you started these abortions uh, on this video, it showed that it, uh, it was from a rape that you had. How did you view this? Did you look at it? Did you uh, swallow the teaching of everybody that it's totally your choice? It was not a human life? Or did you know in your heart that this was wrong? I knew in my heart, in my deepest heart, that this was a child. But because it was a rape, I was told this would solve my problem. It was a complicated situation with somebody that I had known who was mm-hmm. very high up in government, who, who you know, was the rapist. And so I bought into the lie that this would solve my problem. I kind of went in with blinders, but my heart knew. So in your head, you had justified it. Yep. But in your heart, you still knew it wasn't right. And the world would say to women, too, how could you force a woman to keep a child out of rape? And statistically, again, women who make the choice of abortion from rape do far worse than women who don't. Now, you're talking about far worse physically or emotionally? Both. Both. Physically, and because I think our emotional affects our physical as well. So women who make that choice, but mostly emotional. Now they you know, have I've two got a, things. I've got a friend of mine, Jody Stayhower, who was raped. She was a white woman raped by a black man. So it was interracial and there was just a lot of things about it. And it was a violent rape. And she was going to have an abortion. And the Lord spoke to her and he says, mm-hmm. you have no right to kill my child. And she went ahead and had that child, put put the child mm-hmm. up for adoption, and it's now been like 30 years or something, and they're great friends, and it's amazing how God has used it. And so even though, you know, rape is a terrible thing, and I can understand the emotions and everything else, it's still a life, and you do not have the right, right. 
right. to take a child's life just because it's inconvenient for you or embarrassing or whatever the reasons are. If I knew what I knew today or had any inclination, I would absolutely choose adoption today. And I counsel women often now to, to ha have them look at that as an option, not that this would solve their problem because absolutely the baby is not the problem. Mm -hmm. That's true. And, you know, I'll hear them say things like, well, this baby could have a birth defect or something. <laughs> is that a reason to kill the child? Because it has, in some people's opinion, it has less opportunity yeah. for a quality life. Well, and some of the abortionists are making that choice now, um, encouraging women to have tests done before during their pregnancy so that they can choose to terminate this child if it's not perfect. Well, they're eyes. also doing it on gender. Yes. Now, they now have a test that you can yeah. uh, determine the gender, uh, you know, or I don't know exactly how that works. But anyway, they, they are using abortion. If you want a boy and it turns mm -hmm. out to be a girl, you can abort them. I think that's terrible. It's horrible. What's going so on? you knew in your heart that this was wrong, even though you'd convinced yourself in your head. But I'm sure that once you did it, well, then this, what you knew in your heart, just uh, you, you didn't wipe it away just because the child yeah. was gone. Actually, my life changed from that moment, from making that decision. And I see that all the time. I can recognize it in others. Um, it, we see increased sexual promiscuity. That was me increased drug and alcohol abuse. You numb those emotions, the things mm -hmm. that happen in your heart when you make that choice. It took me to a place where I no longer felt um, relationships. I struggled with that. We try to put those blinders on, but it doesn't work. Now, the abortion industry would be just hopping mad right now, saying that you are imputing more uh, significance to this than it's worth. But you deal with many, many women, and there's this common, the it, things that you're expressing? Very common. I'd, the percentage of women who don't experience it, that yet are still, I believe, just in denial yet. I think at some point in their lives, and I see that. I see women in their 50s who have been in that denial for 20 years now or more, and then it's kind of like a little light bulb or something goes off and they, they recognize that something changed in their lives. It wasn't going well anymore after they made that choice and they come in for help. And I was the same way. Boy, this is so important what you're saying, Connie. And I know that there's women who may even be contemplating mm -hmm. an uh, abortion and haven't committed one yet. And the things that you're saying, it's so important that you get this out because they are not presenting this. They present it as it's just a choice you make. It's over and you have solved the problem. And yet all you've done is amplify and intensify the problem. Yes. You've, you've maybe you, in your head you think you've taken care of a problem, but you've added 10. You know? And so you did this multiple times. Was the second time that wasn't a rape, was it? No. Actually, it was with my husband, David, when we first began to date. And um, again, you know, sex then became just a way of feeling good and making myself feel um, accepted. And so I just did that with my relationship with David. And so we made that choice together two times. So I've. Well, let me interject that once you violate your conscience yep. in a certain area, it's like a callus yep. and layer after layer of insensitivity, it becomes so hard. And every time a person violates their conscience, once you cross that That's threshold, right and kill a child, well then, man, promiscuity is nothing, it's nothing compared to that. And all of these other things you're mentioning. And so people who are being told that it's just a simple remedy 
and that it has no consequences and it's over with. Physically, that's not true. Emotionally, it's not true. And then spiritually, you have just hardened yourself, put a layer between you and God that makes it so much easier. And that's why you see women like me making that choice three times and other women ten times. It, you are calloused. You harden your heart to the world, to life, to relationships, and that major relationship with Jesus. I would suspect, and again, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but you tell me, that if you have a hurt like this on the inside, you might could get to where you kind of push it to the side mm-hmm. and function, but are there things that could happen? You see a child or something, and it just triggers this and brings this stuff back to the surface? Um, for me, God has so healed me that those things are not there for me, but I do see other women who remember every anniversary of their abortions. God has totally taken that from me, which is... Now, how I was just, it before you got born again? I, I didn't because I didn't remember those anniversaries of my, my abortions because I, I numbed myself. Mm-hmm. I actually trained myself to forget. So would you characterize yourself as you were really uh, suffering with this before... You got born again. Was it something that was there? Or or did you really have it so that it wasn't a major issue in your life? It affected every part of my life, even though I pushed it so far away from my thoughts. But I recognized at one point, especially when I heard somebody else for the first time share that they had made that choice too. Because even as much as it's said in our world and on TV and media that it's this wonderful thing to take, you know, it's okay to terminate a child. It is not in the recesses of a woman's heart. God made us to conceive and bear children. And when we take that away, we suffer the consequences. And so as much as I push that aside, it affected my life in every way. Um, Relationships again, my promiscuity, um, alcohol. I, d- I wasn't an alcoholic, but I would, you know, do that more because it would just numb anything. And my way of life, I couldn't have a healthy relationship. And women and men, I see that as a, a byproduct. So did your coming to the Lord have something to do with you dealing with these abortions? Or did you come to the Lord separate and then He showed you later? I came to the Lord separate, and then he showed me. I had, again, gone to um, a banquet for a pregnancy care center, and that was the first time that God began to just, that was after David and I were married, bring this up to my heart, how impacting. And for the first time in my life, began to grieve. Because we're, we're not even allowed to grieve the loss of our children because it's, you know, it's okay. They weren't children. We're told they weren't a child. Yeah, but if you ever embraced this and grieved over what you did, right. you would have had to admit your guilt, which right. is something you wouldn't do, I guess. Yeah, so for the first time, I began to admit that this was a wrong choice, that this impacted, and now I needed to go on with the Lord and forgive myself, forgive the people involved, and, and God's forgiveness. Now, was this a one-time experience where you just had like a, an epiphany, a relationship with God, and he took it away all at once, or was it a process? I think he did a really impacting thing when I first brought it to the light and the surface, and David and I began to talk. But then it was a process. I didn't know I had some of the unforgiveness in my heart still. 
towards some of the people that were involved because they didn't tell me the truth. They didn't tell me that this was a baby. Uh, I do recall that one of my children was seven and a half weeks. Now, my baby has a heartbeat at three weeks. My baby mm-hmm. has a, its own DNA. Um, the moment it's conceived, that first week, and at seven and a half weeks, it has everything. They didn't tell me that. So the Lord began to reveal to my heart that you have unforgiveness towards some of these people. Now, they might be walking in ignorance as well or unbelief. I think some of it could be ignorance, but I think the vast majority is just like you've already said. It's driven. It is a big money-making deal. It is. They wouldn't like that, but I guarantee you. It's a major issue. It is. So God just began to walk me through and show. He he cares about every piece of our heart. Amen. So he was not going to let me live one more moment, if he could help it, to not be be totally set free from those choices. So after that banquet and you and David discussed this, you experienced, what, a tremendous yeah. freedom and forgiveness. But has it deepened or increased or did you really deal with it and just... I really dealt with it. I did not want to live with this any longer. I had lived with this for years already, and it. I didn't want it to impact my life. I wanted everything that Jesus had. I wasn't willing to settle for less than what he had for me, and I knew that I wasn't even thinking right anymore. And I asked the Lord, my thoughts are not right. I've been sold lies, and I want your thoughts. I want your truth to come in and replace that. And through other teachings, yours and and the Bible, God's word is what brings life. His word, you know, he says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Mm -hmm. I needed his knowledge. Uh, Women and men need his knowledge, first of all, to make good choices, which is what I get to do. Hopefully, I get to talk to them before they make that choice. But I'm there after as well to say, this is not a good choice. Let me show you the truth. Let me, you know, lead you to where the truth is in God's word. And I have these baby models that are awesome yeah. to say, this is your child. It's not a blob of tissue. It's not nothing. Um, one of the largest abortionists in the world is probably 20, 20 miles away from me. And he will terminate a child up to nine months. And so it's this is just, a partial birth abortion? Um, partial birth is no longer legal, but... What they do now, they figure ways around this. So what they do is very horrific. Um, they will go in and inject the baby's heart with a lethal injectant, injection to stop that baby's heart. Or they will do use drugs to do it now. The mother goes into either pre-labor or delivers that baby. They call it a still stillbirth or a miscarriage now. But it's now this an abortion. all has to be done in the womb, right? Right. Because if the baby is delivered, then it becomes murder. Right. So if you do this in the womb, even up to nine months, I mean, that baby is, it's horrible. So the womb women, of a mother ought to be the safest place on the earth, and yet it's not. No. That's a shame. So did this forgiveness, you got forgiveness at this one encounter with the Lord, were you really free then? Did it just, I mean, the, what I'm trying to get at is for the people watching, is it something that they can just turn to the Lord, receive forgiveness, and be set free from this and go on? Or is it is it a horrific change that takes a long period of time? I don't think it should take a long time. I think once you get a grasp of how loving our Father is and that He paid for, He 
paid for every single one of my abortions at the cross. Amen. That that healing can be instant. You know, I I have friends who think that it's gonna. You know, it should take years and years. That's not my God. That's the psychological approach. Right. Um, if if that's what a woman needs, I mean, and that's going to do it for her. But you know what? I wasn't willing to do that. I wanted freedom now. His word brings freedom. He brings life. So it should not take that long. I didn't get set free from every little detail, but I'm going to tell you that it was a miraculous thing that happened once it was brought to the light. Mm -hmm. And I allowed the Lord to say and come in and show me his loving grace, his grace that he paid for that sin too. That was what brought freedom for me. That's awesome. Man, that is awesome. And you know what? There's so many people yeah. that need exactly what you're talking about. And Connie, I believe that God's speaking to them right now. Amen. I believe that God is speaking to them. I'm sure you've prayed with many women in your center who need this exact same thing. I see over 2,000 women a year in our centers, about twelve to 1,300, and the majority of them have made that choice. And so for... To see that many hurting men and women, you know, one in three in our nation is hurting and hasn't been allowed to receive that healing, you know, grieves my heart. Well, could you just real quickly pray a prayer and minister like you do to so many women? And just, I know that there's women right now and men too who need this forgiveness and healing. You bet. I'd love to do that. But just pray a prayer for them. Okay. And it's receiving his healing. So just allow the Lord to to come into your heart. So, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, I speak to every woman and man out there that no lie can live in their thoughts and in their hearts any longer, Father, that they now receive, accept your finished work at the cross to receive their healing physically, emotionally, and spiritually for choices that they have made in the future or in the past and and things that they might even be contemplating this very day, Father, that they will know that, Father, there is a hope even in an unplanned pregnancy, even in the midst of making a choice one, three, ten times, Father, that you have that. So we command the lies to be replaced with your truth, your healing power and authority and love and grace to replace that right now in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Father. Amen. Father, I agree with Connie, and I just thank you that you are touching people all around the world right now. And I just speak to you that, you know, I believe that abortion is murder. I don't believe there is any way to whitewash it. I don't believe you can get free until you confront it and face what you've done. But I also believe in total forgiveness. Connie is a friend of mine. God loves her. I love her. I love you. But you need to deal with this. And I believe that God has spoken to you. I know that there are a lot of people that are seeing this maybe from a different standpoint because of your testimony. So I just want to thank you, Connie, for being vulnerable, opening up yourself, talking about mistakes that you've made because I believe it's changing the lives of people. So, Thank you for having me. That's awesome. We played this interview with Connie Weiskopf. And she had multiple abortions. And she talked about the shame and the hurt and the feelings of it. And, uh, you know, she just couldn't go on until she got these things resolved. And I believe that that's true of many of you. There's 
probably, you know, according to statistics, by the age of 30, one of every four women in the United States will have had an abortion. And that's one of the reasons I played this interview with Connie Weisskopf, is to show that there is forgiveness and acceptance. But you need to stop doing that. You need to quit promoting this as a normal thing. It's murder. It's wrong. I, I gave this statistic last week that 53 million babies have been aborted in the United States since Roe versus Wade was uh, approved at the Supreme Court since that ruling. And that's not including all abortions, but just those 53 million that are recorded means that there's 3,600 babies murdered every day in the United States. Worldwide, it has become an epidemic. Here's a statistic that just blew me away when I found this. And this is accurate. We've researched it and we've got the uh, documentation on it in this book on Christian philosophy. But 42% of all deaths in the world are from abortion. That is one awesome statement. Nearly 50% of the deaths in the world come from abortion. That's terrible. And you know, one of the very first acts that President Obama did when he became president was to, to sign a legislation that put U.S. taxpayer money to help fund abortions, not only in the U.S., but around the world. Our policy on uh, what we would give money to and support. And since then, the abortion rate has gone up and skyrocketed with his backing. You need to keep things like this in mind when you go to vote. I know that there's people who get mad at me and say that that is unfair and you shouldn't do this, but I think that that is a fair statement. You shouldn't support people that support abortion. The only way I would do that is if the other choice in the election was even worse. And I don't think that that's so this time. But you, man, 42% of all deaths in the world come from abortion. You know, let me say this, that you will go to some things. I'm trying not to be specific. I'm not trying to come against any individual group. And some of these organizations that you give to and that they're called charities and that you sponsor them and they will show that they are here to help the children and do all this. What they don't tell you is that a large percentage of every dollar you give goes towards abortions worldwide. They think that somehow or another that is helping them by just eliminating their life. You will hear this same argument. People will say, but this child could be born with Down syndrome, so you ought to consider terminating their life. Just because a child has Down syndrome, just because it has some kind of a physical problem is not a reason to kill that child. Man, I totally disagree with that. I've heard people say before, but that child could grow up and have a rough life. Well, what's rougher than killing them? That's Nazism. That's eugenics. Did you know that that's how the Nazis got started? They started out killing infants and, and people that were uh, had some type of handicap and things like this. In the United States, the counterpart to it, if I can find this, uh, the eugenics movement in Germany spawned Nazism and resulted in mass murder of millions of innocent lives, but the eugenics movement in the United States took a different form. The chief proponent of eugenics in the United States was a woman named Margaret Sanger. 
You may recognize her name. She founded the American Birth Control League in 1928, which later became known as Planned Parenthood. The founder of Planned Parenthood was a eugenics who believed in selective breeding. They believed that people just evolved similar to the way animals did. And so they believed that just the same way that you breed cows or you breed horses, that you should breed people. And the woman who started Planned Parenthood started Planned Parenthood with the goal of eliminating undesirable uh, people from the gene pool. That's their own statements. I know some of you think I'm just making this up, but listen to some of these things. She's the one that coined the term birth control. Margaret Sanger, 1928, is the one that came out with that, and she promoted abortion as a way to kill unwanted babies. And, of course, this was way back before abortion was legalized by the Supreme Court. And even back then, she was promoting abortion and promoting getting rid of unwanted babies for her idea of purifying the gene pool. Gene Poole, excuse me. Here's some quotes from uh, Sanger's writings, and they leave no doubt about what she was planning. And remember, this is the woman who started Planned Parenthood. Here's a quote from Margaret Sanger. This came from the Morality of Birth Control, a speech delivered November the 18th, 1921. She said, We desire to stop at its source the disease, poverty and feeble-mindedness and insanity which exist today for those lower the standards of civilization and make for race uh, deterioration. And remember, that was a speech on the morality of birth control. Here's another quote from her on the, the Children's Era speech delivered March 1925. And she said this, We would make it a law that children should be brought into the world only when they were welcomed, invited, and wanted and that they would arrive with a clean bill of health and heritage, and they would possess healthy, happy, well-matched, and mature parents. Here's another quote by her. Every single case of inherited defect, every malformed child, every congeniality tainted human being brought into this world is of infinite importance to the poor individual, but it is of scarcely less importance to the rest of us, and to all of our children who must pay in one way or another for these biological and racial mistakes. That is unbelievable. That is unbelievable. Hopefully you do not agree with that statement. And yet the person who started Planned Parenthood and pushed for abortion and birth control, this was their purpose in doing this. It's, here's another quote. From her, This is a quotation from the eugenic value of birth control. And this is a quotation from one of her speeches. The campaign for birth control is not merely of eugenic value, but is practically identical in ideal with the final aims of eugenics. Sanger concludes, birth control propaganda is thus the entering wedge for the eugenic educator. In other words, here she is, eugenics. Here's a definition of eugenics. It says, Eugenics is the study of hereditary improvement of the human race by controlled selective breeding. And this is what's behind all of this. Now today, it's often masked in, well, but this woman, you've got to protect her. What about if she had rape or incest? So here's a chart, and it shows the most births that have ever happened in one year in the United States was 2007. 
And at that time, there was uh, 4.3 million births in the United States. In that same period of time, there were over 45 million abortions worldwide. Man, that is a terrible, terrible uh, statistics. Socially, abortion causes a tremendous loss of human potential. Worldwide, there are 125,000 abortions are performed every single day. Can you imagine the potential that we're losing in these individuals? You know, in the United States, we have a crisis in our Social Security and other things, which I'm not really excited about Social Security. I don't think it's a good system. I opted out of it 40 years ago. But one of the problems that we have is that as people live longer, we've got these older people who have all of these needs and there aren't enough people paying into the system and Social Security is broke. It's a train wreck waiting to happen. That's aside from all the moral issues. Just in a financial situation, think of the difference that it makes. What would happen if 53 million more people were paying taxes? What would happen if there were 53 million more people that were contributing with their talents and gifts? I tell you, abortion is a deadly, deadly thing. It's wrong. It's the wrong thing to do. A survey was done among women about what the reasons for their uh, abortion was. Here's, here's the results of this survey. 74% said that having a baby would interfere with their career, education, or ability to care for other family members. Now that may be true, but did you know what? That's not a reason to kill a person because it's an inconvenience upon you. 73% of the people said that they couldn't afford a baby. Now, of course, these statistics, some people gave multiple reasons. That's the reason it doesn't all add up to 100%. 74% said it was an inconvenience. 73% said they couldn't afford the baby. 48% didn't want to have to be a single mother or having a relationship problem that a baby would cause. 25% didn't want anyone else to know that they had had sex or were pregnant. 1% were the victims of rape and less than one half of 1% became pregnant as the result of incest. And let me just say that because you've had, uh, because you were the victim of incest or rape still is not a justification for killing another human being. Just because something terrible was done to you doesn't mean that it's right for you to do something terrible to another person. The number of people that had medical issues was 4%. And when they were quizzed about this, their medical issue was that they had morning sickness that they, this made them feel bad. And so it wasn't a doctor that, that said that this was a life-threatening thing. The only thing that I would ever agree with in an abortion is if the life of the mother was at risk, and not just morning sickness or inconvenience, but if it was going to be the choice, either the child had to live or the mother, then I think that that's a hard choice to make but sometimes I might agree with that. But I, I would be very hesitant to do that. I know a number of women that have literally put their life on the line and said, you go ahead and deliver that child if it costs me my life. I think that that's the more noble way to go. But that is just a minuscule amount. When people bring up these arguments, what about the woman and what about all of these terrible hardships on her? That is not a just criticism. That's, there is nothing that justifies taking the life of another 
individual because the woman doesn't want morning sickness, because she doesn't want anybody to know that she's promiscuous, because the woman doesn't want to have to deal with the hardships of raising a family. She doesn't feel qualified. You know, if you don't feel qualified, give the baby up for adoption. You know, I have a friend of mine. Uh, her and her husband pastored church. And anyway, I came to know them many years ago. And this woman was raped by a person from another uh, race. And it was even a more of a stigma then than it is now. And this woman actually considered an abortion. But as she prayed about it, the Lord said, What right do you have to kill my child? And the Lord told her that that was his child, that he had purposes and plans for that child. And so this woman gave birth to a child of a mixed race from a rape situation. It was a hardship on her and there was many different reasons, but she gave this child up for adoption and she's maintained relationships with her and they have a great relationship and there's good things happening. That child is now totally grown and I think has ch children of her own. And I'm saying just because there is a rape or an incest still does not give you the right to terminate the life of another person. If you look at the real hardcore hard cases, it's less than 2% of all abortions are done for that. All of the rest of the abortions are done for women just doing it for social or other reasons. 92%, that's what they said. And uh, that is not a justification for killing a child. Once you start saying that life, a person who has life, isn't entitled to that life, the U.S. Constitution says that all men are in, entitled to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Once you start deciding who is worthy of life and you start taking their life from them, and if you take it from the most innocent people in the womb of the mother, if you cross that threshold, there is nothing standing between you and euthanizing old people and people that you don't deem uh, profitable and people that you think are a leech on society and on and on and on. I tell you, this is a battleground that we need to draw the line on and I've said some things that I know have made many people mad. Even many, I'll have people write in and say, you do fine teaching the Word of God. Why don't you just stick with the Word of God? That's what I'm doing. The Word of God teaches that a child is a living human being inside of the mother's womb. And it talks about that this is wrong. And I am sticking to the Word of God. I am speaking the Word of God.